What's going on, New York Giants fans? The Rams scored 38, the Giants scored 11. To start off this podcast episode, I'm not going to sit here and give you guys the key plays and the stock up, stock down, because I think that shit is pointless at this point. I think it's boring. This is this is terrible. This is absolutely terrible. The only things related to the game, unfortunately, that we're going to do is the key stats and some game notes that just deals with the incompetency of this team. But we've we've really lowered the bar uh, in terms of standards across the NFL in terms of teams that are 1-5. in five. I mean, you look at the way the Jaguars played on Sunday morning. They played, they won. That's a 1-5 team. The Dolphins, I believe they're 1-5 now. You know, uh, they they play in the game with the Jaguars, but you don't look at them and say, oh, they're going to get blown out by the Rams. Or, you know, you don't look at them and they say, oh, they're going to blow get blown out by this team. Well, I mean, they did get blown out by the Bucks. I mean, that that's just that. But it's like that one meme on the Internet where it's, you know, our standards were low, but holy shit, this is a new low. It's bad. This is 2017 bad, everyone. And buckle on tight because this is going to get worse before it gets better. And in 2017, I wasn't really, you know, a giant fan like I am now. I watched about a good percentage of the games. Some of them I couldn't get. I really didn't try to have an effort to stream the games because, you know... I would always go on YouTube, try to find the games, and it would get taken down, and I wouldn't go on any extra sites. Um, but now I'm in the New York market, so I get to see every game. But, um, yeah, it's like 2017 all over again. And we're going to be doing the same circle, the same song and dance as we did four years ago. Only thing is, I wasn't a content creator then. So, let's get into this stuff, because I know... If you guys are at least watching on YouTube, you see a lot of the stuff has to deal with the future of this team and not necessarily the game. But just a quick reminder, guys, if you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe if you're on YouTube. We're about nine subscribers away from 300, which is a milestone, so please hit that like button, comment, subscribe. Help out the algorithm, get new people to this channel, that way you engage with more people when you comment. And also, if you're on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, please go out there and follow the podcast as well. We need as many downloads as possible. So, uh, in terms of stats, Matt Stafford had a game, and I said before, and I'll say it again, the Rams are winning the Super Bowl this year. I think that the defense will get better down the stretch. Like performances like these, uh, they'll use it as momentum and then they'll start building and building and building. And then when they get Darius Williams back and all these other players, they're going to be a Super Bowl team. And I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. That's just my personal opinion. It's not a narrative. Uh, everyone was saying, oh, the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, it's the Bucks. Well, now it's the Rams. I think the Rams are winning the Super Bowl. But that can be saved for another time. Uh, Matthew Stafford. 22 for 28, 251 yards, four touchdowns and an interception. He was sacked twice, one and a half times by Leonard Williams, half a time by Dexter Lawrence. John Wolford, uh, he was 0 for 2 with one interception. Both interceptions going to McKinney, but he dropped one earlier that meant something or would have meant something, but, you know, he didn't catch the that one. He caught two unimportant ones. Daniel Jones, he had a horrible game. Absolutely terrible. He turned over the ball four times, which is probably a career high for him at this point. This was one of the worst games of his career, in my opinion. 29 for 51, 242 yards, three interceptions, sacked four times. Not good at all. You look at the L.A. rushing game. They had 131 yards on the ground. Daryl Henderson, 21 carries for 78 yards and a touchdown. Sony Michelle, nine carries for 42 yards. Then it was Stafford and Wolford, who... Took the rest of the rushing yards. Then for the New York Giants rushing game, they had to abandon it early because they were down so much. The defense was bad. The offense wasn't executing. Devontae Booker, 12 carries for 41 yards. Nobody's scared of that. Elijah Penny, he had a touchdown out of the shotgun. It wasn't even a Jones passing touchdown. 
it was a Eli Penny touchdown out of the shotgun. That's sad. That's sad. But uh, three carries, 15 yards, and one touchdown. I don't know where Gary Brightwell is. Maybe they left him in Dallas. Maybe they left him in New Orleans. The guy has not been getting snaps. And it's a waste. It's an absolute waste because you go, you could have gotten Trey Smith or some of these other depth pieces that would have been very useful, but you picked a special teamer who's not even getting snaps at his position instead. Uh, it's unfortunate. And I hate second-guessing draft picks as a content creator. I hate that. But you know what? It has to be done. In terms of the Los Angeles receiving game, Cooper Cup had the game we all thought he was going to have. Nine receptions, 130 yards, two touchdowns. Tyler Higby, five receptions, 36 yards. Robert Woods had two receptions, 31 yards, and a touchdown. Daryl Henderson had a 25-yard touchdown against Tay Crowder, and McKinney didn't come over over the top, but he's been bad. He's just been bad. Um, then Van Jefferson had three receptions, and Deshaun Jackson had only had one, which was a surprise. You look at the Giants' receiving game, they spread out the ball a lot because Tony got injured and they really didn't have anybody else. Sterling Shepard, you know, he played well. He had one drop, but unfortunately his impact was not seen because the game was so far out of reach. 10 receptions, 76 yards. Dante Pettis, a practice squad guy. Five receptions, 48 yards. He had one drop also. You could say two drops, but he had one definitely. Kadarius Tony. Didn't even play a full drive, but he had three receptions for 36 yards. And if he wasn't out, if Andrew Thomas wasn't out, this game would have went much smoother. I don't think we would have won, but it just shows you how important these players are to Daniel Jones. Devontae Booker had four catches out of the backfield. Ingram had three catches. Colin Johnson had two. Rudolph had one. Eli Penny had one. You know, that's that's what happens when there's no depth on the roster. Uh, in terms of the Giants' defense, I know I'm um, reversing it here, but in terms of the Giants' defense, Leonard Williams had one and a half sacks, a tackle for a loss, and two quarterback hits. Dexter Lawrence had half a sack and a quarterback hit. Jabril Peppers also had a quarterback hit. Um, with that being said, the Giants totaled two sacks and four quarterback hits, which was not nearly enough to get to Stafford. They got to him early in the game, but the rest of the game, it was like they didn't show up in the first half. And then you look at the Rams defense, which by yardage and stats is one of the worst in the league. But they had a game against the Giants. They had a game because the offense couldn't execute. They had short field, and the Rams were scoring and scoring every drive. They punted maybe once or twice. Um, but Leonard Floyd, he had one and a half sacks quarterback hits. Rel Lewis had a sack, a tackle for a loss, and a quarterback hit. Aaron Donald had half a sack and a quarterback hit. Also a pass deflection as well. Agbania Akaranquo, I'm surprised I pronounced that correctly, had one sack and a quarterback hit. Taylor Rapp had a quarterback hit as well. If I'm missing anybody, I don't think I did. Greg Gaines also had a quarterback hit, so the Rams totaled four sacks and seven quarterback hits. Uh, talk about DJ now. Two fumbles, one lost, and then you have the three interceptions. It was not a good game for him. It was not a good game for him. I'm going to put it lightly because we've been talking about these types of things for weeks now. But a solid two of his interceptions were his fault. Sterling Shepard, he fell in the middle of his route, and Robert Rochelle picked it off. But also, one of the problems I have with Jason Garrett's offense, and the bad play calling came back to life on Sunday. That was pretty evident. You know, they had the out route, so I believe it was Ingram or Dante Pettis. Jones does not read Taylor Rapp coming in, throws it, it's intercepted. And then the first interception of the game, or yeah, it was the first interception of the game. Uh, Ingram was coming over the middle. Taylor Rapp reads his eyes, and Daniel Jones throws a pick. Taylor Rapp had a hell of a game. He should have had a pick earlier in the game, but he ended up getting two. Shout outs to Taylor Rapp, the. 2019 or 2020 draft pick out of Washington. So, you know, he had a game for himself. The O-line, I don't have the direct stats right now, but they gave up 16 pressures. After Andrew Thomas left, it was bad. Uh, you take a look at the first play of the game, and it, it says it all. It really captured 
what the game was going to be like. It was a microcosm. And the Giants recovered the football and they moved down the field, which is a good thing, but not really a good thing, you know, that it was continuing that the offensive line gave up pressures and sacks. But, uh, you know, Nate Solder gets beat around the edge by Leonard Floyd. And Solder's weakness is actually getting bull rushed at his age, at his weight, because he's lost weight. And he's out of shape. He's out of shape. And a lot of people were talking on Twitter saying, oh, well, you know, you guys said that Matt Parrott was good. Uh, frankly, I never said that. I know a lot of content creators didn't say that either. But Matt Parrott's better than Nate Solder. Matt Parrott has a reason to be on the field. Nate Solder doesn't. Uh, you know, I don't get the homer issues with people. I don't know why they're defending Nate Solder. You know, he's a good backup to have. But at this point... In a lost season, why are you starting him and not Parrott? And Parrott has a chance to be here next year. He's probably going to be a backup for the Giants. Uh, you don't ride with him next year as your starting right tackle. This Giants coaching staff has totally undervalued him. And I understand he's been bad in practice at, you know, sometimes. And he's also, or was bad in the preseason. But when you have a lost season, why are you still playing Nate Solder? Doesn't make any sense at all. This team, respectfully, should be 0-6, but they're 1-5 because of a New Orleans win. <sighs> anyway, with that being said, here's some game notes, and then we'll talk about some other stuff. Why is Jabril Peppers covering Cooper Cup? You could have used McKinney in the slot. You could have used Julian Love. Jabril Peppers was getting cooked, and ultimately, I'm going to go into a segment where I bring him up, but that, I'm going to leave it at that because I don't want to spoil anything for you guys coming up. I don't know why he was covering Cooper Cup. I thought that was pretty strange. He has speed. Cooper Cup has speed as well, but Cooper Cup was cooking him. In the first half, he was cooking him like a brisket. And it was sad to see. It was sad to see they're not utilizing him correctly, in my opinion, but he's also not playing up to the standard which he built last year because he was a pretty good player on this defense. He made one third down stop, but it counted for nothing since the Rams actually scored on a fourth and one, which was a rubber a rub route to Cooper Cup. And Odori Jackson, you know, did not know how to cover that with Julian Love on the outside as well. Um, why is DJ in the game when injuries can happen and Corey Cunningham is in? Nobody said anything about Nate Solder being injured in the second half. Now, in the first half... Specifically in the first quarter, Nate Solder was taken out because the trainers were checking him for injury. In the fourth quarter, they put Corey Cunningham in at right tackle. That was not due to injury. Unless I'm unaware of the situation, Corey Cunningham was put in because, well, game over. Okay, game over. Why is DJ still in the game? And I understand there's a concept and there's an argument you can make, oh, well, he needs the reps with uh, Dante Pettis and all these other guys. Have it in practice. Have it in practice. Because when you're facing a Rams team and you're getting your ass pounded and the offensive line's not protecting Daniel Jones, you're supposed to be franchise quarterback, uh, things aren't going to go smoothly. And he's coming off of a concussion, which also brings the point up they... Went for a QB sneak on third down once it worked great. And then fourth down on their own territory, on their own solid ground. They go for another QB sneak and they don't get it. Why not go to Booker there? Why not run it straight up the gut and get another first down? I like the aggressiveness. I personally, me, if I was a coach, I would have went for it there. And I know a lot of Giant fans didn't want him to go for it there. I personally would have went for it there. But why are you using Jones on a QB sneak again? It just seems very predictable. It just seems very predictable. The defense sniffed it out and then they turned the ball over on downs. Why is Nate Solder still playing over pair? We're not going to make much of the argument over the next couple of weeks because Andrew Thomas is likely not playing in the next two to three weeks. I would just give him till after the bye to heal, which is something I'm going to talk about next. But it's probably going to be Parrot and then Solder. Parrot, you know, we'll see what happens at left tackle. Um, you know, he wasn't very good in this game. We all know that. Nate Solder is just generally not a good tackle. He's one of the worst at his position this year. But I just don't understand why early in the game when Thomas was supposed to be healthy... Matt Parrott was not playing over Nate Solder when Solder gave up the first play, which was a forced fumble. And 
I don't care if it's DJ's fault or if it's this guy's fault or whatever. Nate Solder had a part to play in that forced fumble. So don't tell me, oh, well, you know, Nate Solder's still the better guy. Because if you have that argument, I'm sorry, you're a homer. And it's different, you know, if you're on Twitter, if you're just a fan talking to a guy at a sports bar and you're talking about the subject. But if you're a content creator and you're talking about Nate Solder is better than Matt Parrott, um, I, I don't know what narrative, what Homer narrative you have to push. I'm just making a statement because if you're a content creator, just my opinion, you need to be critical of this team because people look to you uh, on YouTube to tell the truth. And that's why I'm here. That's why a lot of other content creators are here. But I'm here to tell the truth. If Daniel's not playing well, if I don't think Daniel's a franchise QB, I'm going to say it because it's my opinion. But also don't be homerish and say, well, Daniel had a good game or something like that. Some stupid shit like that. But Nate Solder should not be playing over Matt Parent when Andrew Thomas is healthy. That's just unacceptable. Giants should let Kadarius Tony and Andrew Thomas heal. I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree with that. I mean, I wrote it down, but let him heal till after the bye week. Kadarius Tony was checking and checking on his right ankle. He did not come back. Andrew Thomas did not come back despite taking reps on the sideline against Danny Shelton. I mean, that's not hard to do since Danny Shelton sucks. It just seems like to me that Joe Judge has it in for Patriots players. And I'm not saying having it in, you know, anything bad, but he keeps putting them out on the field. Logan Ryan, I mean, they signed him to a huge contract. He's starter-worthy at this point for the standards of this team. But Nate Solder and Danny Shelton, why not call up David Moa from the practice squad? Danny Shelton's trash. He had half a sack this year. What else has he contributed to? Nothing. Because he sucks. He's a 350-pound waste of football player. Let's put it that way before I even go any further than what I'm about to say. Um, but the Giants should definitely let Kadarius Tony and Andrew Thomas heal after the bye week. Same thing with Saquon Barkley. I mean, I don't know what his value holds to this franchise at this point. But uh, it's it's tough to say. It's tough to say when your team is absolute garbage and at the bottom of the league. All right, so we're going to talk about some things that are not necessarily related to the game, but related to the future of the Giants. I hate doing this. Trust me, I do. But it's stuff we have to talk about. Trade at the deadline. The trade deadline. Let's just talk about it overall. Who do you trade at the deadline if you're the Giants? I don't give a shit who's the general manager. You need to trade guys, and you need to take picks for those guys that are not a part of your future. You can very well trade James Bradbury, in my opinion. He's one of the guys that you can trade. He can go to a contender and be maybe a number two or number three corner on another team. Um, done with James Bradbury. I know he had this great season last year. But he's a guy you can realistically try to move at the deadline to a contender. And who gives a shit at this point if you pay this much dead cap or you eat this much dead cap? Who gives a shit at this point? I don't know if there's any dead cap if you're trading him. I personally haven't done that research. But, uh, you know, see what Sam Beal is a corner. See what Donnie Holmes is a corner. Use it as evaluation. That's just my opinion. He's a guy you could definitely deal. And it's not even the point of, oh, this, this, or this. Because next year, you can cut him. And save $13 million. Yeah, that's great and all. $13 million. Yeah, you could use that towards whatever free agency moves you're going to make. Even though the Giants will probably not be in a contending position most likely. But why not get something for him? Teams will say, oh, well, maybe he's not being used correctly, you know. Maybe we could use him as a second corner or third corner. Hey, then take him off our hands. Give us a fourth, fifth, sixth round pick at best. That can happen. Evan Ingram. Giants kind of missed their opportunity because of the Zach Ertz trade. Zach Ertz, for many of you who don't know, went to Arizona. Um, with that being said, Evan Ingram needs to be gone. He's had a decent amount of games in terms of receiving the last two. He had a drop against New Orleans. Then he did pretty good in garbage time against the Cowboys. Did decent against the Rams. I'm not talking about blocking. But trade him to a contender as well. I know Arizona, obviously, once again, with Zach Ertz. Trade him to a team that is contending. Trade him to a team that's not too far away. I don't know who the Panthers have at tight end. Maybe that's something you look into. Because they did trade um, 
for Dan Arnold, but I don't know how he's been for them. So maybe you give up something and get an extra weapon for Sam Darnold. I don't know. But he's a guy that you definitely should deal. Because next year, with a new GM, he's not coming back. He's not coming back. And, you know, don't give me this compensatory picks bullshit. Get whatever you can for him. Don't say, oh, well, you guys are giving us only a 6th, 7th round pick. I'm not going to take it. Don't be stubborn because your team has no standards as a foundation to stand upon. Let's be real, people. And then the next guy they should trade at the deadline. I would have said Saquon Barkley had he been healthy. But Jabril Peppers, he's not good in coverage. And this team keeps utilizing him in coverage for some reason. They're not stacking him in the box as they should be. You know, he got torched against Cooper Cup on Sunday. And his abilities as a box linebacker are not being utilized. And he's just not been the same player from last year. So he's not anything to extend. He's not anything to talk about this year. Go out, get a fourth, fifth, sixth round pick for him. Get whatever you can. Once again, same thing like Ingram. Do not give me this compensatory pick bullshit. Because if you do, I'm going to shove that in your face and say, oh, well, compensatory pick, whatever. But it's not a good solution. It's not. Take what you can get before sending them off for free. Players to build on next year. Now, this one is a touchy subject in terms of keeping players. You're forced to keep players because of the contracts. So I'm not going to reveal yet who I would cut. I'm going to reveal who I would keep and who the Giants should ultimately keep, in my personal opinion, for building next year. Now, this doesn't mean that they're going to be a part of the franchise for the next 7 to 10 years. That's not going to happen. Some of these guys have outs in terms of their free agent contracts. They have years where you can get out of because of the high amount of cap you can save and the low amount of dead cap you'll eat. So, here are some players that will likely be on this team next year. And some players you could build around, but these guys will probably be kept next year. Quarterback Daniel Jones. I don't see a reason they should move on from him as of yet. He had a bad game against the Rams. I will fully come out and say that. But there's no reason to jump ship. If he has another bad game against Carolina and some of these other teams, then you could say, okay, well, we need to move on from him, get a stopgap or something. But you look at the quarterbacks in the draft, there's nothing to talk about. There's nothing to talk about. It's going to be another project for the next couple of years. And in my opinion, with some of the guys on the roster right now that you could build around and take that as not building around a quarterback, but hey, if you have this guy, you could put a corner two or something like that. Um, But some of these guys, you don't have to trash everybody, in my opinion. And you realistically cannot fully rebuild because of the money Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge have put in these players. And I'm saying Joe Judge because I know a lot of people like to just say, oh, it's Gettleman. And it is Gettleman, trust me. But, you know, Joe Judge has an impact, too, from what we hear from the Twitter gods. Anyway, Saquon Barkley, you're forced to deal with him, in my opinion, because of... The $7 million in dead cap you would allocate if he is released. And if you trade him, I don't think you actually eat dead cap. There's a chance, but I don't think you eat anything in dead cap. But what is he worth? His third year in the league, ACL injury. His first year in the league, great. His second year in the league, he missed three games due to an ankle injury. And then this year, he's missed... One and a half games so far due to another ankle injury. He's not worth anything. So might as well keep him on the roster next year. And then the year after, don't sign him or trade him at the deadline. Do whatever you can to just move him. If you can get a pick, fine. I don't know what team would actually give up a pick for Saquon Barkley at this point. But if there's a team out there, you you give him Saquon Barkley for a six-round pick. That's my opinion. Tight end Caden Smith. This guy has been severely undervalued by this coaching staff. I think he, you know, he's a good player. He can be utilized in the passing game. He's one of the better blockers on this Giants team, tight end and O-line, in terms of the running game. And he can catch in the passing game. 
rookie year of 2019, Daniel Jones and Caden Smith had a connection. Everyone talks about, oh, Darius Slayton and Daniel Jones. Darius Slayton and Daniel Jones did have a connection. But Caden Smith also had a connection with Daniel Jones as well. That should not be forgotten. And they undervalue him. They did not use him correctly last year. You know, he was a big part of the running game and why the running game succeeded at the end of the year. But it just sucks. It just sucks. And realistically, if you don't keep Caden Smith, if you don't utilize him, if your next offensive coordinator does not utilize him correctly, then you're looking at drafting another tight end or just signing one. And I'm pretty sure the Giants, with how many needs they have on both sides of the ball, they don't want to do that. They would rather draft an O-lineman, draft a pass rusher, draft a corner, draft a safety, rather than draft a tight end. And I'm not saying Caden Smith's going to be the next Gronk, or he's going to be the next Aaron Hernandez, or he's going to be the next uh, Hunter Henry, or something like that. I don't know. Make comparisons, whatever. But he's a solid player that the Giants should build around, give him another tight end, and go forward from there. So Kenny Galladay, you don't have an out in terms of 2022. You don't have an out there. You would allocate $23 million in dead caps. You're forced to keep him like you're forced to keep Saquon Barkley. And you would incur negative $2 million in savings if you cut him. Now, if you release him before June 1st of 2023, you would allocate $10 million in dead cap and $11 million in cap savings. So... There you could take the out. You could take the out. You could just say, okay, Kenny Galladay, you know, he's injury prone. We'll draft another number one wide receiver in one of these drafts. Bye-bye. But that would allocate, or I would say that would incur a lot of dead cap and a lot of savings. It's like this, $10 million and $11 million, which is a bad thing because, you know, you, you would want to get hit, rid of him as fast as possible. But, you know, you can't do that. But in 2024, if the Giants want to wait that long, I don't think they will personally, but if the Giants want to wait that long, in 2024, if you release him before June 1st, you have $6 million in dead cap, but $14 million in cap savings, which is realistically around the time the Giants will be a contender, in my opinion, if they do everything correctly, which is probably not possible because it's the New York Giants. John Mara owns this team, but realistically in 2024 you could be a contender. You don't need Kenny Galladay anymore and he's going to be at least 30 by the time. Kadarius Tony. I mean, this guy's a stud if he is not injury prone and I know he's had some issues this season, the ankle and then getting involved and then before that the COVID thing, but he is definitely a number two wide receiver. He could be a number one. I'm not saying he's going to be Odell Beckham, you know, all these other comparisons, but he is the real deal. He is the real deal. Unfortunately, a lot of people are going to come out and say they should have drafted Slater, and it's an ultimatum kind of thing. You could have used Rashawn Slater, but at the same time, you would not have the number one draft pick for the Bears next year, and you wouldn't have Kadarius Toney as a playmaker. Right now, realistically, if it hadn't been for Tony in the Cowboy game, Mike Glennon would have nobody to throw to, or would have had nobody to throw to. Um, so there. Darius Slayton, as a backup at best, I think his contract ends ne after next year. So realistically, you're not keeping him after his rookie contract. You're keeping him for a backup reserve wide receiver at best. And he's not stayed on the field. He's missing three straight games due to hamstring injury. Missed a lot of games in his rookie season. Was inconsistent last year. You can't deal with this guy. And I understand, you know, there's a lot of talk. Oh, well, Darius Slayton, he's a fifth-round pick. He's good value for that. Yeah, I understand that. But when they put him in situations to be the number two wide receiver or the number one when everybody is injured and he doesn't produce, well, that's going to be criticized, and rightfully so. So, the next couple of guys has to deal with the O-line, in my opinion. Well, it's not my opinion, but in my opinion, they should keep these guys not all for starters. In my opinion, you're only keeping one guy as a starter. And you're only really depending on this one guy as a, as a, a starter. That's the left tackle, Andrew Thomas. 
He's been excellent. Uh, he's done his best when he's injured. He's a franchise left tackle. There's not much more to say that. Hopefully he can stay healthy because uh, likely over the next couple of games he's going to miss you know, some time, which is unfortunate. The Giants played him half healthy, which is not really something you should do when you have a lost season, but that's just my personal opinion. No rush to get him back. It's not like you're the Chiefs or the Bucks, uh, where you're contending team. The next three guys, realistically, you should keep as backups. And I know there's a lot to say with that, but right now they're in a starter position if all of them were healthy. But because of the situation, they're not all healthy, and they're not all starter worthy. I'm going to start with Nick Gates. I love Nick Gates. Um, as a player, he's a fighter. He fights for Daniel Jones, stuff like that. You cannot seriously, as the next GM, depend on him to come back next year. And I'm not going to say, oh, he's never coming back to the NFL. He suffered what could be a, a career-ending injury, similar possibly to Alex Smith, where he's getting this many surgeries, and the timeline is so big, it's not even funny for him to come back. You know, you don't know when he's coming back. You cannot rely on him to be your starting center next year. The year after is even kind of shady. And a lot of people are talking about this guy, Tyler Linderbaum out of Iowa. They draft pretty good linemen. Tristan Wirfs will tell you that. <sighs> he's a prime example is what I'm trying to say. But you can't seriously depend on Nick Gates to be the next year center. If you do that, that's not good. That's a baseball mentality. The Yankees are currently doing that with Aaron Hicks. And it's not that Aaron Hicks has a career-ending injury possibly like Nick Gates does. He doesn't. But, but Aaron Hicks has consistently sucked. That's my point. And there, he's on a huge contract. He's on a 10-year, $70 million contract, or I think it's 7 years, $70 million, something like that. Intertwine the numbers, if you will. However... You cannot seriously have a baseball mentality for a football player like Nick Gates in this situation. Shane Lemieux. Now, he does not have... Actually, let me rephrase that because what I was about to say was actually not true. Shane Lemieux could possibly have a career-ending injury. It's possible. Nobody wants to screw with that patella tendon. Victor Cruz had a fully torn patella tendon. Look how uh, long it took him to come back. We know as Giant fans what the situation is like from before from Victor Cruz. Shane Lemieux, he's a fifth-round pick. And the next GM is likely not going to come in here and say, okay, Shane Lemieux is going to be the starting left guard. He's not going to do that if he's smart, in my opinion. You can't depend on these guys to be your starters next year. Not that they're totally bad football players, but you don't want to rely on them. Shane Lemieux and Nick Gates, I know I'm talking about them as if their career is over or if the Giants' career is over. I don't want to talk like that, and I'm not trying to talk like that, but these guys are simply backups in the next two years if they play at all. You can't depend on them as stars. And guess what? If they're healthy, they're pretty good backups. They're pretty good backups. If you draft a couple old linemen and they have uh, Gates, Lemieux, and the next guy I'm going to talk about, Matt Parrott, as backups... That's a good amount of depth on the O-line. That's young depth, reasonably. You know, Matt Parrott was out of the 2020 draft like Shane Lemieux was, and Nick Gates two years before, undrafted out of Nebraska. That's still fairly young in the next two years. Uh, I don't know their birth dates. I don't look that up for them, but that's still fairly young as depth. Not like what the Giants did, where they got Joe Looney, they got, uh, what's-his-face, Zach Fulton, and they suddenly retire out of the blue and you're stuck with Jackson Barton and Jake Burton as the backup tackles and guards possibly competing for a spot. If I was the Giants in the next couple of years or if I was the Giants just organizationally in two years and all these guys are healthy, I would love them as backups. As starters, maybe, maybe not because of the playing time. And Matt Parrott, he had, in my opinion, the possible potential to be the starting right tackle next year. In my opinion, there's no chance of that. In my opinion, unless someone gets injured, he's the backup. And if someone gets injured, he's the starting right tackle. But I don't think he's a starter. You do not go into next year with Matt Perry's starting right tackle. That absolutely should not happen. And if it does happen, 
it's going to be very bad on the next GM. Because the next GM, realistically, should draft the right tackle. He should draft a center. He should draft a couple of other guys. Maybe get one guy in free agency. But we all know that route has not worked at all. The next guy, Gary Brightwell. And I'm going out of position here, I know. But Gary Brightwell is a special team and a backup guy. He may get cut, and I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with that. But for Gary Brightwell, you know, he's a special teams, he's a backup guy. Uh, just use him at the back end of the roster, you know. Uh, they could always do that, get a undrafty, get a six-round pick in the draft, which might actually mean something for the Giants next year and the year after because of the way this roster was built. But in terms of Brightwell, you keep him as a special team and a backup guy. That's pretty much it. And once again, if the GM says, hey, listen, we have other guys on the roster that are better than Brightwell. Okay, you cut Brightwell then. That's a waste of a six-round pick then on Dave Gettleman. The next guy, this one is tough, Leonard Williams. You cannot get rid of him next year. Why, you ask? You would allocate $34 million in dead cap and negative $7 million in savings. So you're stuck with him for another year in a rebuilding year. And I'm pretty sure Leonard Williams does not want to be in another rebuilding year. He's won in one year of his career, and that was his rookie year, 2015, with the New York Jets. And we all know the comments he made, which is something I'll get to a little later on. And I know I know this podcast has been going on, on and on and on. But I'm not going to talk about game stats and you know, keep plays the game because that doesn't matter. This is what matters at this point. This is what matters at this point because this team is one in five. But you can have an out in 2023 before June 1st. You would only allocate 7.5 million in dead cap, but save 18 million in savings so at that point you get some free agent guys doesn't necessarily have to be superstars but you get some free agent guys and then if you let that roll to next year and you cut Galladay man would the Giants be a contending team ideologically and hypothetically it would be smart for a GM to do that but we'll see what happens over the next few years Dexter Lawrence you realistically cannot get rid of him in 2022 so you're stuck with him next year you could also decline the fourth year option or I should say no not the fourth year option the fifth year option you could realistically decline the fifth year option for Dexter Lawrence um and then maybe trade him at the end of 2022 trade him at the deadline 2022 if he's worth anything I don't think he is maybe like a fifth sixth round pick at best but if you were to cut him in 2022 before June 1st, zero in cap savings, $4.2 million in dead cap. No, I would not cut him. I would keep him another year, but that would not rule out the Giants drafting over him or anybody. They could draft over Daniel Jones for all we know. They could draft over friggin', uh, let's just go out and say they could draft over Caden Smith. They could draft over Leonard Williams. They could draft over anybody. The situations that we can think of are totally astronomical. Aziz Ojolari, he is not a number one pass rusher. The Giants drafted him to be that, which is absolutely absurd. But he's been inconsistent. He's very streaky. If he gets a better coaching staff to coach him up, he's going to get better. He showed flashes at the beginning of the season. Really hasn't shown up in the last few games. But in terms of Ojolari, if he gets a better coaching staff, he gets... If he has number one pass rushers around him, maybe like a Kayvon Thibodeau or some of these other guys, maybe you get a free agent guy. I don't know. If you get a number one pass rusher, Aziz Ojolari will thrive. For special teams and backup guys, the next three are prime examples of that, but they could also be cut, and that is something I wouldn't necessarily be against. Tate Crowder, Cam Brown, and Carter Coughlin. Carter Coughlin... He was supposed to make the quote-unquote transition to inside linebacker. They're not playing him a lot, only when it's blowout situations like it has been the last two games. Cam Brown was designated to return from IR. He did return from IR, but didn't really play any defensive snaps from what I heard. Tay Crowder, um, he's a linebacker three at this point in my opinion. He cannot operate as the linebacker one. Maybe as a linebacker two, but definitely not a linebacker three. But definitely not a linebacker one. And, you know, it sucks to say because we had high hopes for this guy as a seventh round pick. Not many expectations in the first year. He overachieved. And then this year, when he's put in a situation, he doesn't really do well. 
Dory Jackson, you're stuck with him in 2022. If you release him before June 1st, you allocate $18 million in dead cap and negative $3 million savings. So once again, it's a guy you keep another year as your corner one. Maybe you draft another corner, another two corners, if you will. And then if you release him before June 1st in 2023, you save $12 million and only eat four point five in dead cap. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I would definitely take that route. That's the same thing, I believe, with Leonard Williams. Similar thing for Kenny Galladay, but it's actually pushed uh, for more savings if you cut him in 2024. But once again, uh, the Giants will be stuck with him, in my opinion, unless they could trade him for peanuts and Cracker Jack. They will be stuck with him in 2023. They will be stuck with him in 2022. Xavier McKinney, I was given the thought of, of possibly... Hanging on to him. But at this point, you just need to tear down that safety position. Logan Ryan should have never been extended. Jabril Peppers is probably going to get traded. And if he doesn't, he's not the future strong safety of this team. Julian Love is a role player. And Xavier McKinney, he has not looked like what everyone wanted him to be out of Bama. A physical player. uh, A deep center field guy. Someone who's in the box as well. He's not that player. So... What the next GM will probably need to decide is, A, is McKinney someone who will thrive under another coaching staff, or will we have to go out and draft a guy like Kyle Hamilton out of Notre Dame? And I know that very well because Kyle Hamilton uh, is on Notre Dame, and I'm a big Notre Dame fan. So you could be stuck with him. I really didn't do the research in terms of his rookie contract, but uh, you're most likely stuck with him in my opinion, even as a depth player. Donnie Holmes, you could use him as a backup. I don't think he's realistically a bad player. I just think some of his disadvantages are being shorter than most corners and just getting beaten man coverage. So he could be a backup. I think he's a valuable backup, but you really don't want to see that of a fourth-round pick. But once again, I would not totally be mystified if the Giants next year with a new GM cut Darnay Holmes, cut some of these other guys that Dave Gettleman has drafted because they can find better role players, better backups. So we have about three more subjects to go through on this show. We'll probably actually hit the hour mark, which is something I really haven't done in the last couple of episodes. But situation with Dave Gettleman, the general manager, you fired Dave Gettleman. Now, a lot of people are coming out here and saying, well, you know, you could hire a GM now he could evaluate. That's not necessarily true in my opinion. Or for what I'm seeing actually. Because you cannot grab guys from other organizations till the season is over. And unless you're hiring Kevin Abrams as your next GM. You're not going to be able to find your next GM until after the season. Which is pretty unfortunate for the Giants in this situation. Because you want to get the ball rolling with this next rebuild. You want to get the ball rolling for the next GM you want to get started you want to get ahead but unfortunately with the NFL rules and everything else like that you cannot go ahead and just hey we're gonna pull this guy from the Lions organization hey we're gonna pull this guy from the Falcons or whatever you're gonna do you cannot pull guys like that and in that strategy unfortunately you have to grab them after the season not during the season it would make so much sense But it does, at the same time, if a team wants to keep that guy for future insight. And it's also the possibility that a team blocks the interview after the season. So, I know there's a lot of talk about Kyle O'Brien being the next GM. And there's a couple other guys as well. I don't know if Kyle O'Brien has a role in this organization. I I personally haven't done my research on Kyle O'Brien. I think he's currently with the Lions. I don't know where he is right now. Someone just brought it up in one of the streams I did on Sunday night. I think it's a possibility. You look at a couple other executives across the league. But once again, a lot of people are coming out here and and saying, oh, well, firing Dave Gettleman does make a difference right now. It really doesn't because you're essentially, in my opinion, sending the message that you're giving up the season. You're done. you're, You're just seeing what the players can do. It's an evaluation thing. That's what you're doing. And I'm not saying that I would keep Dave Gettleman as get a general manager. That's just a mistake on you for thinking that. I would fire Dave Gettleman. But 
I would wait till after the season because there's no point. You're sending a bad message to your players, though they are already quitting on you, which is an absolute fucking joke. But once again, it's not like you can reach out and go out of the NFL guidelines and reach out for a potential GM on the Lions or a potential NFL executive for another team in midseason. You can't do that. So just has to put it just has to go into Giants fans' heads that firing Dave Gettleman, in my opinion, right now is not going to make a difference. It could possibly be the same thing with a coordinator or whatever. It doesn't do enough. But also, you can't hire a GM midseason because it's against the NFL rules from what I'm hearing and from what I'm seeing. And you cannot, you know, everybody looks at, and I'm, and I'm sorry for stumbling here. I know it's very bad talk, but the only reason that the Giants fans are getting this reception that you can actually do that is because Dave Gettleman was hired before the 17th week of the 2017 NFL season. He was hired before that Washington game because he was not employed. The Panthers had fired him, I think, in June or July of 2017, right after the draft. They fired him. They had wanted nothing to do with him. So that's where the Giants fans, in my opinion, are getting the perception, oh, you could hire a GM midseason. No, you can't unless they are on the market, unless they are not working for anybody. And even then, you want to get an outside guy who's not worked for this organization, A, and B, who is not unemployed because I'm pretty sure their resume would not look as good. But just some points to point out for Giant fans. Situations with the coaches and Joe Judge. Uh, just some game notes from the Rams. Jason Garrett's play calling has come back to life in a bad way. The curl routes, the stick routes, all these other routes, the out routes towards the sideline. It's not good. It's not good. And I understand you got to get the ball out quickly because the offensive line was not protecting, but the Rams had that game planned absolutely perfect. Players don't give a shit about Patrick Rams' accountability, and it's not enough. Uh, for number one, the players have quit on the defense, my personal opinion. That Robert Woods touchdown when the Giants were up 3-0 and it was a middle-of-field thing, Robert Woods just walked in. He walked into the end zone. Nobody had any instinct of effort to go out and tackle Robert Woods, or at least make an attempt. And then you look at the Cooper Cup touchdown towards the end of the game, which got them to 38 points. By the way, did uh, we did achieve score which is the only thing we're known for in this game, besides getting our asses kicked. Oh, yay, we achieved Scorigami, yay. For those of you who don't know, that's a score that's never been achieved in NFL history before. So 38-11 is a score that's never been achieved in NFL history before. That's what Scorigami is. But um, you look at the Cooper Cup touchdown. Nobody made an effort to tackle. He was walking on the sideline. He stayed in bounds, and he was pushed off bounce a little bit because, you know, his bounce wasn't there, but he just walked into the end zone. The players are not trying. It sucks. It absolutely sucks. And the defense, full of playmakers. They're not doing their job. We could criticize Patrick Graham and Dave Gettleman for bringing him in and stuff like that, whatever, who you want to blame, but blame it equally. Dave Gettleman brought in the players. Patrick Graham is coaching the players. The players are doing what the players are doing. And nobody's trying. Nobody's trying. This is literally a microcosm of what happened in 2017. And we are tracking back to 2017, if you will. <sighs> the players suck and can't execute. No execution in the red zone when they had some targets. They only scored three on the first drive, which was absolutely upsetting and just disappointing because, yeah, they recovered from the forced fumble uh, and then the Giants recovered but they also moved the chains it was like third and 18 or something like that they moved the chains on a Kadarius Tony catch first down Giants all that effort for nothing getting a field goal so the players suck they can't execute and unfortunately you're stuck with some of these guys because the contracts they were signed to final thoughts Ooh, this one's gonna be interesting it says something when we're on offseason talk it does. I've been trying to avoid it. There's no way of avoiding it. Get a head start right now. Talk about the offseason. 
talk about some of the other things that the Giants could do this offseason. I'm not getting into free agent targets yet. That's going to be after the season. But talking about what is actually on for the future of this team. Who the Giants may keep. Who the Giants may not keep. What is their cap situation in the next couple of years. If it was a rebuilding year and the Giants were 1-5, I would say okay. But the Giants were supposed to win this year. The Giants were supposed to be a half-decent team. They were supposed to be a decent team. They were supposed to be a contender for the division. They're nowhere near that. They're in the basement of the division right now. Um, the defense has quit. Yeah, I mentioned that earlier. Cooper Cup touchdown. Robert Woods touchdown. They don't care. They don't care. Um, the offense can't execute with third-string players. That's a point to make, but you have to have better depth. You have to have some sort of connection there. And, yeah. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, injuries, injuries, injuries. No, the execution's not there. When they had some capable targets in the first quarter on the first drive, they scored a field goal. They scored a field goal. And as I said, they recovered from that forced fumble that Leonard Floyd had. I almost said Leonard Williams. I don't know why, but Leonard Williams has not forced a fumble since like last year. Anyway, with that being said, they recovered from that. Great. It was all for nothing because they scored a field goal. They couldn't execute in the red zone once again. And then, I believe they executed in the red zone when the game was over. Garbage time. Leonard Williams needs to shut up. Leonard Williams apparently said that he doesn't like the booing, that he's not a fan of it, whatever. I don't know what he said. I'm paraphrasing, but this is according to beat reporters and Daryl Slater, who really doesn't have that much of a reputation anyway. If he said that, though, If that's what you're concerned about, you can leave the New York market. I know you've been here as in the New York market for your entire career, but you should be used to it by now. Don't turn into a Javi Baez, a Kevin Pillar, or a Francisco Lindor. Don't do that. Because you know what? This team has been losing for years and years and years now. You've only shown up at parts of the season, uh, you know, different times getting sacks. You know, what reason do you have... For the Giants fans, and why should they not boo? This team has consistently sucked over the last couple years, so don't give me that attitude. Do not. Don't give the fans that attitude, because you know what? Guess what? Half of the fans can read that, and half of the fans may not show up next game. It's definitely possible. It won't happen, because Giants fans are loyal to their team, but it's definitely possible. Um, Joe Judge quotes, that's what we'll probably end it off with. No, I actually have a couple more after that, so... We will actually most likely hit the hour mark. Here are some quotes from the press conference. And this is not just Joe Judge. It's about Joe Judge as well. Logan Ryan says, Giants coach Joe Judge's message at halftime was, in part, these roster spots are not guaranteed. I mean, that's just facts. You could say that about any season. Roster spots are not guaranteed. And they're certainly not guaranteed in a 1-5 season when you're supposed to be winning. This is according to Raph Valcayano. Here's what Joe Judge said about still having 11 games to go. To turn around and start tapping out now, I don't know what kind of mentality other people have, but I don't quit things. These players don't quit things. We're not going to do that. (laughs) Your defense quit. Your defense quit. That's what they gave up, 38 points. They fucking quit on you. So you lost the locker room, Joe. Sorry. It's just funny to sit back and say it. It's sad. It's disappointing. But it's also funny. You're talking this. You're Aaron Boone. You're literally Aaron Boone in press conferences. Yeah, I saw some good things. Yeah, there's a lot of positive. You know what? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to save what I was just about to say for another day. I don't see any dip in how our guys prepare. That's a joke. That's an absolute joke. Next one. Next one. About Daniel Jones being in the game for so long, even though Corey Cunningham was a right tackle. We're going to compete for 60 minutes. My guy, you competed for 15 minutes at that. 3 nothing at the end of the first quarter. At the end of the second quarter, 28-3. You guys only competed for 15 minutes. Sorry. And you're so hypocritical, Joe, because you took... Nate Solder out, your buddy, your butt buddy, you took out Nate Solder for Corey Cunningham, but still left Daniel Jones in the game to suffer. That's good. That's always good. Uh, Joe Judge also said this, according to Jordan Ronan. 
He challenged the guys at halftime. He wanted to see who would finish the game, who would fight. Your defense was not even close to what you say they were fighting for. I'm just laughing, but I'm tired of reading these quotes. Anyway, if this team continues to fall, JoJo's is at fault if everybody quits. And you can't give this guy another year or a few years. So let me start on point number one. It's Joe Judge's fault. You guys can blame Gettleman, which is definitely plausible. You can blame Garrett and Patrick Graham. Number one, this team is quitting on their head coach. They're quitting on their coaching staff. That is up to the head coach who oversees the coordinators and what they do. And if you want to talk about Jason Garrett's offense, you want to talk about this, that, and the other thing, the way the defense is playing, zone-oriented, uh, man-oriented, whatever, something they're doing wrong, that's on the head coach. No matter who brought them in, no matter if Ernie Acorsi brought Joe Judge in, or this guy, or this guy, or whoever, Dave Gettleman brought him in, which was, now we can see his mistake, but it ultimately falls on the CEO, Joe Judge, the CEO of the roster, and the way this team plays on the field. He is the CEO of the production on the field. Not that... John Mara and Dave Gettleman and Steve Tisch have nothing to do with this team. But in terms of what goes on in practice, he is the CEO of everything. He oversees it. So much for getting involved last year with Mark Colombo, right? You can't even get involved and change the game plan with Jason Garrett. Or you can't even coach up these players on the defense so much that so that they're quitting. You can't give this guy another few years or another year at most. And stop with the Joe Judge GM talk. I'm going to start with those two things and end off on those two things because I feel like I need to be heard on that one. You guys are talking about Joe Judge hiring a new GM. I'm going to reiterate this for the 300th time. We're a dumpster fire organization. We're a dumpster fire organization. That is known to man. We are a dumpster fire organization. That's just common facts right now. We are being compared to the Jets, the Jaguars, the Dolphins, many other teams across the NFL that are 1-5, 0-6 like the Detroit Lions. We're being compared to a lot of those teams. With that being said, though, if you're going to tell me that Judge should hire a new GM, then I don't trust your intelligence. I'm basing your intelligence based off your one comment. Because let's reiterate this, everybody. Let's talk about what the Jets did starting in 2015 that they're still fucking paying for today. Let's talk about it. Hired Mike McCagnin and Todd Bowles. After some miserable seasons, fired Todd Bowles in 2018, kept Mike McCagnin. Mike McCagnin goes on to hire Adam Gase as the next coach. Adam Gase essentially gets Mike McCagnin fired after the 2019 NFL Draft. He essentially gets him fired because he didn't like the Le'Veon Bell signing, among other moves that Mike McCagnin made. Then, you hire Joe Douglas in the summer or whenever the hell they did. They hire Joe Douglas from the Eagles, and then he does not have a full year to evaluate and actually get talent in, so one of his known signings one of the few was Ryan Khalil, and he did not work out. With that being said, you move on. 2019 seems it's supposed to be, you know, a possible winning year based off of, or I should say 2019, you know, is a rebuilding year. It was Sam's second year, but based off of the end of the year, based off of the 6-8 and eight, uh, ending to the year, I think that's the way they ended the year, something like that, whatever. But the way they ended the year... Put Jet fans in a spot. Oh, we're going to be a good team. Oh, we're going to do this. Oh, we're going to do that. 2020 comes. After 2020, they fire Adam Gase. In 2020, Joe Douglas can go out in free agency and make moves depending on their cap space. He can draft players. Some of those players are not on the Jets. Some of those players are not good. Jabari Zuniga is not even being utilized. He was their third-round pick out of Florida. Um, so... Adam Gase is fired at the end of 2020, 2-14 season. Dumpster fire franchise. Then, Joe Douglas goes out to hire Robert Salon. A lot of people are talking about now firing Joe Douglas. So this is the circle of a monstrosity that would happen if Joe Judge hired a GM. So, 
I don't know why Giant fans are not being reminded of their cross-down rivals and what they did in terms of their coach essentially hiring a GM. But you need to be reminded of that. And you can't give this guy another year or a few years. He's already lost the locker room. What makes you think that some of these returning players next year are going to say, oh, well, Joe Judge is going to turn around and be a better coach than he was last year? What makes you think that's going to happen? You know, 6-10, and 10, it was someone encouraging the, the ending to the year and some of the progress they made. Yeah, sure. But now, this team may not even win four games. It's a stupid-ass football team that Joe Judge is the CEO of the production on the field. So... I don't understand a lot of these people's philosophies. Maybe they just want this team to tank to be right. Maybe they're just being stupid. I don't know. But do not give this guy another couple of years. Fire him after the season. Fire Gettleman. Get rid of the coaching staff except for Rob Sale. And then start over. Get a new GM. Have him hire the next coach. And go from there. But with that being said, guys, if you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe. Turn on post notifications so you know when live stream pops or drops. This should hit the hour mark. I apologize. I know I went on. For a long, long time based on off-season moves and what could happen, who's returning next year. But it's essentially stuff that us giant fans and content creators have to talk about. Because this season's over. Let's be honest. One in five. If anyone tries to tell you that the season isn't over, they're simply wrong because the season is over. Peace out, guys. See you later. Stay cool. And go Giants.